farmer was meeting with his banker in his small community, and he knew the banker pretty well, and the banker knew the farmer pretty well. And so the, the farmer says to the banker, you know what, I've got some bad news and some good news. And the banker says, well, tell me the, the bad news first. And he said, you know that mortgage that you have on my place? We had a bad year farming, a climate and weather and all the stuff going on in the world, and uh, got the inflation, and I just, I'm not going to be able to pay anything on my mortgage, principal or interest. The bank goes, wow, that is bad news. He goes, That's, there's more bad news, he says. You know that money that you gave me, you, you loaned me to, to buy the, that equipment a few years ago, and still paying on that? Well, not going to be able to pay on that either, principal or interest. And the farmer goes, well, or the banker goes, wow, that's really bad. And he goes, no, it gets even worse. Remember you loaned me money for the seed and for the fertilizer? And the banker goes, yeah. He said, well, I'm not going to be able to pay on that either. He said, well, that's enough bad news. What's the good news? And the farmer with a smile says, I intend to keep doing business with you. <laughs> Here we got two disciples in our gospel lesson that are lower than the farmer or the banker, depending on, on your position. But they were down in the dumps. I'm not sure why they were going from Jerusalem to Emmaus, not a long distance away. Maybe that's where they lived, I'm kind of assuming, but we don't know that for a fact. But they're on that journey. They had been there, and they'd experienced what was going on with Jesus. They had seen him crucified, and now they were confused. They didn't know what to think. The fact that they were leaving from Jerusalem might have showed that they were even more discouraged than the text might even say. Some have thought, well, they're leaving Jerusalem because the apostles, the close followers of Jesus, were all behind locked doors. If the Jews were going to come after them or the Romans were going to come after them, they were going to get out of Dodge or Jerusalem, as the case may be. There they are. They're, they're on the road and they're discussing these things, what had happened. None of the pieces are coming together. And somebody pulls up alongside them on this, this route that they're taking. They're walking, of course. And Jesus happens to be there. They don't know it's Jesus. And he, said, he says to them, what are, you, what are you talking about? They stop and look at him like, where have you, did you just drop out of space? You know the things that have been going on in Jerusalem about Jesus of Nazareth. He was crucified. And yet even now, as we're leaving, we heard reports from reliable sources that he was alive. But we don't know what to think. So there they are, walking along, trying to figure out how all the pieces in their life will fit together. They were troubled. Do they believe the good news, or do they believe the bad news? And that's our dilemma too, isn't it? Do we believe the, do we believe the bad news or the good news? The good news is that Jesus Christ is alive, and he's our Savior. The good news is that God is in charge even when we think he isn't. The good news is God is always present with us in Christ. What do we believe? Sometimes it's difficult. We see how little impact sometimes the Christian faith has had on our communities and the like. I was looking back on my notes for this text, and all the way back to 1999. And I... It came to memory as I was reading the notes, I remember reading a Time magazine article about how destructive technology can be 
on the social interaction of people. This was 1999. You have to realize, it wasn't until 2004 that Facebook came along, Twitter came along, YouTube came along. So it's, he's talking here in this article. He says, he's not against technology. He's just saying, there's something amiss when the only thing we're looking at is our screens. And over the last 24 years, that's definitely gotten worse. One of the phrases that stood out for me as I looked at this article again, again, 24 years ago, he said, what would life look like if children were raised on screens? Wow. That, that kind of is very telling of our current age. Things have progressed in technology, but certainly most of us would say they've regressed when it comes to social interaction. Psychologists, sociologists will tell us that that's because we have little person-to-person interaction. There's no sense of community or family. That's a big deal for many. Some would say that's going to be the, the death of society as we know it. That's bad news. But when you get right down to it, it's not just that, is it? Look at the news, and we see all kinds of reasons to be down, to be discouraged, to be like those disciples on the road. We see uh, murders. We see uh, robberies. We see all kinds of stuff just here in America. And then we look around, and we have wars and rumors of wars in several different places in the world today. And we wonder, where's God in all of this? How do all the pieces of the puzzle fit together? As these disciples, these two on the way to Emmaus, were trying to figure it all out, Jesus comes alongside them. And in his presence, he explains to them why all this had to happen. I want you to notice something something very important, at least for me, is that these disciples were going away from the place where they knew or they heard that Jesus was. So they were actively going away from Jerusalem. And who shows up? Jesus. They they don't have to go looking for him. He comes looking for them. There's a a gripping story about a traveler. And it's in in medieval times. He's, He's traveling along the road, and a man on a horse comes rushing by, blood's on his hand, he's got this look in his eye, and he's gone. A few moments later, another band of of, uh, come along on, on horseback, and they ask the traveler, have you seen this guy? He's got blood on his hands. He's, he looks like he's a crazy mess. And they, he says, yeah, is he a bad guy? He said, yeah, he's a, he's a bad guy. So you're going to go find him and capture him to institute justice. And they said, no, we're going to find him so that we can show him the way. Boy, how many times in our life don't we feel like God's out to get us? That somehow God wants to punish us for what we're doing or what we have done in the past, and we have to try really, really hard. Maybe if we go to church more, maybe if we serve more, maybe if we're just more pious. But then at the end of the day, you look back and go, I'm just a poor, miserable sinner. In fact, Scripture says to me that I'm not just a poor, miserable sinner. I'm spiritually blind dead, and an enemy of God. That means means I can't even have a desire to find Christ. He has to come to me. And he does. And he looks us in the eyes. 
and says, you're my beloved. Your sins are forgiven and you're empowered. I read a story about a British soldier in World War I. He was fighting in the trenches and he wanted to get back home. He was done with the war. So he decided he was going to take off, got out of the trenches, dead of night. And he's traveling along London. It is pitch black outside. He's traveling along, can't see where he's going, not sure which direction he's going. So he runs into what he thinks is a road sign. He thinks, well, I'll climb up the road sign, light a match, and see what, which way I'm going, where this road leads. So he climbs up what he thinks is that road sign, <coughs> lights the, the match, and he's looking straight into the face of Jesus. You see, it wasn't a road sign at all. It was a, a roadside crucifixion. That touched his heart. He remembered him who had gone all the way for him, who never gave up, who was with him each step of the way. By the morning, he was back in the trenches, ready to serve, knowing full well that Christ was with him. When the disciples arrived at Emmaus, Jesus acted like he was going to go on. I think I find a little bit of humor in that, right? He's like, look, do you want me to stay or, or not? But they compel him to stay. And he comes in to their house, apparently. Time for a meal. And what does Jesus do? He really takes over as the host because he, he does the blessing. And in the breaking of the bread and that blessing, they see Jesus for who he is, Jesus. The breaking of bread is, is a phrase that the Scripture uses. It's not just a, a loaf of bread that you break. It, it involves fellowship, certainly, but it's a reference to the Lord's Supper. In the breaking of bread, Jesus is made known to us. In the breaking of bread, in the Lord's Supper, Christ comes to us intimately and personally and says, you're forgiven, you're loved. Sometimes we miss that, don't we? I remember when I was in high school, and in fact, I, I know it was 16 and 17, I had just learned how to drive so I could get to work. One of my jobs back in the day was every day, seven days a week in the afternoon, after afternoon milking, was my job to go to the barn, clean the barn, clean the milking machine, circulate the pipes, get them all ready for the next milking the next morning. And I do that every night, seven days a week. But on Sunday, I had the privilege of doing it twice. I got to do it after morning milking as well. Now, it was a job that you know, was, it was fine. I, I, in fact, it was a, one you could almost do eventually by, by rote. But it did take a toll on my Sunday mornings. I'd get up at like 4, go to, go to clean the barn, come back, get cleaned up, go to church, and sit down. Can you imagine what's going to happen? I'm going to like, I'm a teenager. I probably didn't go to bed too early on Saturday night to start with, so... I'm going to tend not to listen. I stayed awake because I had elbows in my side if I would happen to doze off from my mom or my dad. But the point was I missed a lot of sermons that way. It wasn't just when I was a teenager. I know a couple, uh, I guess it was last Sunday, Deborah and I were in worship and and pastor was preaching. And I don't know, I went down a rabbit hole and I, I got out to the car and I, I, after service and told Deborah that, you know what, I don't think... I heard much of the sermon. And I said, I feel bad about that. But you know what I did get to do was to go to the Lord's Supper. And there, I didn't miss Jesus because he came 
directly to me. He came through the Word. But in the Lord's Supper, receiving the very body and the very blood of Christ, firm to me, as he does to you, that he is our Lord and he's our Savior. You see, we sometimes have a tendency to think that God will come to us like Superman, comes to rescue, you know, the, the victims, and, and in the big, in the flashy, and we, when we pray God make, you know, for miracles, and believe me, like you have experienced extraordinary miracles in my life, but they're not always flashy. In fact, the biggest miracle in our life today is the fact that God comes to us in Christ through his word, that God in Christ comes to us through the Lord's Supper. Once heard about a missionary uh, back in the day in North Korea, and he, he was uh, captured and he smuggled in a New Testament, a pocket New Testament. They eventually found it in his cell, and they beat him to a bloody pulp. He was thrown back into his cell and he had a smile on his face because he said they can't take away what they tried to take away. The word of God is written in my heart. I've memorized scripture. It gives me the comfort that I know. So what do you do when the world assaults you? What do you do when you have questions, when the pieces of the puzzle don't fit together the way they should or the way we think they should? What do we do? It would be easy to despair. And perhaps that's part of the process. But in that despair, know the hope and the, the reality that Christ, who died on the cross, arose for you, ascended into heaven, and promises to come back to receive you as his own. In that peace and in that joy, we also have that comfort along the way. Not only God's word, but remembering our baptism, a real event, concrete, that happened in our life, and then also receiving the Lord's Supper as we're assured that Christ has indeed revealed himself to us just as plainly as he revealed himself to those two disciples on the Emmaus Road for our comfort, for our joy, for our encouragement of going out from here today and sharing that same message with a broken world. Amen. And now may the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding stand guard over your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.